You're listening to A Journey in American English. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode. In today's episode, Chris and I want to talk about economy, specifically speaking, economic booms. There have been many throughout the U.S. within the past couple decades, but we want to talk about the economic boom in the northern part of the U.S., referred to as the Balkan. Um, it was pretty new for me, but not for Chris, and not for his father, who is a guest on our podcast today. Chris did an interview with his father, and that'll be the basis of today's episode. With that being said, we hope that you enjoy the interview and the episode, and let's begin. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, it's yeah. going to be an exciting episode this week, I think. Yeah, definitely. So we got a, we got a guest prepared to like a, a guest interview. Yes, um, we're getting a little ambitious stepping up in the world. Yeah. Ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah, but before we start, so how's the weather? Uh, still extremely smoky. Oh. Uh, it's not been as hot lately. Uh, but other than that, the state's still on fire. So that's, that's great. That's crazy. No, here the weather is pretty... Yeah, pretty boring, honestly. Um, it's a mixture of like humidity, rain, sunshine, but the weather in Germany is terrible. But I always say you don't ever come here for the weather. You you come here for like the food and the culture, but not for the weather. <laughs> it's the same with England. Uh, I, I I think uh, I, like most Americans, have a very poor perception of what weather must be like in Europe. Um, I you know we all think like okay england is gray a little humid and rainy but past that i think all of us kind of lump a lot of <laughs> european countries into the same kind of weather patterns unless you're like italy or spain yeah well i mean europe is about as so the european union not europe in of itself is more or less about as big as the united states and hopefully i didn't get that terribly wrong but so the weather here is pretty uniform, but like if you go to like the southern part of Europe, it's kind of the same. So whether in the southern part of like Spain or the southern part of France or Italy, it's pretty hot. In the northern part, it's pretty cold. So like if you're in the northern part of, of like England or the northern part of Germany or Norway, it gets pretty cold there. You get like no sunlight, but still it's, yeah, it just depends on where you go. But hopefully I can go to the beach <laughs> sometime this year if i ever get the yes. chance yeah that sounds amazing no beaches here no well unless you want to go to a questionably clean lake there why are no it, beaches here why why is it questionably clean uh there, there's a lake uh in town here called lake elmo and i have swam in it once before it does have like a little beach area but it is uh the general opinion on the cleanliness of that lake among the residents of billings are, is not high uh Oh, wow. And it wasn't a super pleasant experience either, so I'm not exactly clamoring to go lake swimming again. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it was probably like an industrial lake or something, or like they industrially clean the water or something like I, that. I don't think so. Like, it's, uh, I think the area is technically in a, a state park. Like, it's very tiny, but I know for some hmm. areas there's like a little gate to get in, and I remember seeing a thing once upon a time. Most residents of Montana can get in free, but everyone else has to pay, but it's a super <laughs> tiny area in a residential area, but 
yeah go fishing there and <laughs> maybe or maybe not eat the fish if you know maybe yeah that reminds me of the, how the lake looks that day yeah that reminds me of the simpsons movie where he he puts all like the the waste into the, the lake and then there are like fishes with like three or four eyes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that's the so that's the global weather report uh, i'll say or the binational uh but what do we want to talk about today so today we want to talk about uh, general U.S. economic booms. Uh, my primary focus being on Bakken oil boom, which is a an oil formation in the region, mostly in northwestern North Dakota, but also some in northeastern Montana. And if you were um, Billings, Montana is in eastern Montana. So for me, uh, growing up, this began around 2006. It was a big deal around here. You heard people talking about it. Um, mm. I've definitely had it impact more than one of the jobs I've had in my life. And it was just, uh, it was a big deal, even this far away. And uh, my father works in an industry that uh, greatly benefited from this economic boom. And I had him come in a few days ago and sat down with him and he was uh, nice enough to let me ask him a few questions and record it. And uh, we're going to go ahead and present that to you today. Yeah, so it's a super interesting interview and uh, enjoy and we'll be back. Hello, everyone. Thank you for uh, listening to the new episode. I'm sure Chris and I have already done our usual talk about the weather conversations that everyone loves so much. Uh, but uh, starting this recording today, I'm sitting down with my father. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell yeah. them a bit about what you do. My name is uh, Jeff Shower. I own a modular housing dealership in Billings, Montana. Uh, been there since 1992. And I serve as Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Yes, uh, business is slightly older than I am, but uh, it's coming up on 30. It's getting there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the reason I brought you in today, and thank you again for agreeing, you, is uh, we're talking about economic booms this week, and especially with where we live, how do you think of anything else than the Bakken oil boom? Bakken oil boom was amazing. Yes. Uh, so I just want, I just kind of want to talk through your experience with it. So how did you first hear about it? Do you remember? So I'm actually old enough, when I was younger, there actually was a previous oil surge in that area up around Glendive beforehand, so I was kind of aware of that oil boom. Uh, and uh, then when the new one started, I, you could see it coming. Uh, so it was pretty obvious that uh, there was going to be a huge influx of people coming that direction. Okay. When, when, did, when did the murmurs of that starting to start up again come around? Because I believe it, it picked up again around 2006. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just start on one day. You know, there's some lead up. What, did yeah, you hear there, anything? There's definitely investors that are aware of things long before the rest of us are. The really smart people uh, know about it. And they were starting to buy up properties in that area because they seen it coming. Uh, and it takes a lot to build up an infrastructure to be able to accommodate the people and, and everything that's coming. So uh, I, I would say probably two years before the Bakken really started to hit, we were starting to see... Uh, uh, activity on my side, my sales side increasing in that particular direction. Oh, wow. So so you had your first opportunities around, what, 2004, you'd say? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, my industry is kind of weird. I, I go with about 400 miles of my radius of billings, and typically I have something uh, work in all directions. So like right now, for example, tech is pretty hot up in the Bozeman direction, so uh, I do quite a few houses west of billings. 
uh, agricultural strong, so I'm doing a lot of houses north. Uh, but coal is weak uh, right now, so uh, you know products that we were doing in Coal Strip, Montana, or, or down into the uh, northern part of Wyoming have slowed down. Uh, so we're always eyeing what's going on uh, across the four state area that we do. Okay, and I remember you talking about this when I was younger, but uh, I don't remember the exact details. I, I assume it was a mix of both, but were you mainly being contacted by these large companies needing to plop down a whole bunch of houses to uh, get their workers going? Was it a bunch of individual people? What 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 was the what was the big customer base? You know, it was all of the above, and I was pretty aggressive with uh, all sides of that. Um, I did sign up with uh, with one large construction company where they bought huge tracts of land. Uh, they would put in the foundation improvements, and I would put the house, and they had approximately 90 houses with them in just one subdivision. Uh, but we did lots of them to, uh, to just contractors. So, like, in, when you do a big project like that, you have electricians, you have plumbers, you have, you know, all these people that are going to the area, uh, and they all have employees. So we have all of those folks. Uh, and then you just got your folks from your service industry, you know, that uh, have to have places to live, school teachers. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, the, main, the main people uh, I sold to in the beginning uh, were people who were just kind of working their way into the area. They're more temporary workers. And then as the Bakken exploded more, the people who were going to stay there, uh, as who the more permanent residents were, then we started doing more permanent uh, higher-end houses instead of more temporary lower-end houses. And that's interesting, and I wonder how much that has stuck around today. I know the, the oil is still there. I just know things have slowed down in the last five or so years. But I, I know um, you said you did around 90 houses in the area. I know in your, in your business, especially these days, uh, you have a backlog. You can only sell so many houses so fast. The factories can only produce them so quick. Uh, during the peak of this, about how far out were you usually booked out? So, uh, so first of all, that 90 houses was just one subdivision. That really wasn't the area. That was just one tiny part of the oh, area. Okay. We did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of houses up in there. Uh, our factory uh, uh, basically was able to accommodate the area. And in Minnesota, where our houses are built and the territory around Minnesota was actually slow while the Bakken was going on. So I was doing a large percentage of houses out of the factory and the capability of getting them um, pretty quickly, uh, three to four months. Uh, I could get a house at that time where as of today, for example, it's more like eight to nine months. So in a sense, it's actually harder for me to get a house now than it was then. Interesting. And something I'm just now thinking of when you're ordering directly for, from the factory, which I suppose you always do, but for a large scale project like this, and I know, uh, especially with what I do, trans transporting something that large over the road is difficult. Do they still uh, drive them past the Bakken area in the Billings and then one of your guys no, would, they no. would just deliver them straight yeah, to the area? Yeah, ne never. Okay. Ne we, don't, we don't like to add miles to houses, so <laughs> so the idea is to get them as short a trip as possible. I uh, imagine that's what you want, but um, yes. I, I don't know how, how much you in the factory would have the same idea. <laughs> So, so I, my uh, my transporters or my transporters are not factory transporters, uh, so they aren't really associated with the factory. So they go the directions I tell them to go. I that's see. not true with a lot of dealers, uh, but but with I myself, see. that's how it's done. So, and I know um, with the large influx of people into that Balkan area, Sydney, Montana, and Williston, Montana, or excuse me, Williston, North Dakota, being the two uh, most well known, uh, tons of crazy. Well, I don't want to say crazy, but interesting people from all over the country and uh, probably even outside the country were going in there. I'm sure you dealt with all sorts of people. Um, 
What, what was their kind of uh, attitude about it? Because I'm, I'm sure you dealt with a lot of these people. Yeah, so I dealt a, a lot with a lot of their bosses, too. Uh, so, in other words, the, the first wave of people that come in generally are people with really bad credit. Uh, they're typically a more criminal element. Uh, they're with more like floaters or gypsy-type people where they, they just follow the money. Uh, so those aren't typically the people that I sell houses to because they don't have the credit or the ability to buy. Uh, but they're the workers uh, that roughnecks, what have you, that go out in the field to do the work. So the companies that hire them buy houses from me. So I can't say I met tons of, uh, you know, really strange people. I always a few strange ones every year. Uh, most of the time I met their bosses who were, uh, you know, really uppity up and, and nice, good people. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, I've heard uh, that uh, in the oil industry, it's the smallest big industry you'll ever see. Um. <laughs> it, it is it is crazy, and uh, they definitely uh, they definitely know what they're doing for sure, and they know when to leave an area, when to get to an area. Uh, I mean, they can see it coming, the workers included. I mean, they don't just go because that. They 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 talk amongst themselves, and it's it's fascinating culture. Yeah, absolutely, it's very different. Um, so as as it went as it went along, um, this was a you know the prime of it was about a decade. I think the prime was about. 2012, and then it wound down until I believe, or it slowed its uh, increase to until about 2015, I believe, and that's kind of baselined. Um, what was it like observing the just the arc of the whole process from you know the mid 2000s into the early 2010s? Well, first of all, I was kind of bummed that I didn't buy a bunch of property up there because property <laughs> values really went through, went crazy. It was nuts. Uh, and I and I will say, as a, as a dealership, there was a lot of dealerships who became satellite dealerships up in the area and uh, put high markups and uh, basically just gouged the people that, that were in the area. Uh, and a lot of people who lived up there gouged people in the area. We were a lot different. We put, uh, you know, basically we just have our, our markup that we do. It's not a large markup, but it's enough for us to make a living. And we didn't, we didn't change our markup, whether it was there or anywhere. So uh, as more of an ethical type process. Um, but yeah, it's it it crazy in our industry. I mean, they were selling houses up there for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 higher than they should have been uh, just because people were needing them. Places like mobile home parks where they were begging for people to come in were now all of a sudden charging three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 just to be able to put a house in their park. Uh, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of... Uh, really underhanded, horrible tactics that were done just to, to make money. Well, and it's not just that they needed uh, mobile homes. Well, obviously, they, need, they needed accommodations for all the, the influx of people, but they needed all sorts of buildings for people to work out of, offices, all those kinds of things. And obviously, there are modular buildings that can be used for offices, warehouses, what have you. Um, did you ever get people buying your houses like, we just need something to put on a job site to have our guys work out of? our managers and our geologists and that kind of thing. So my industry, I'm, I'm what we call residential housing and then there's commercial housing uh, and commercial real estate. Um, I didn't, I don't do commercial, I'm not zoned for commercial. Uh, so mine was mainly for people to live in, not really to work out of. Um, I can tell you that they did buy a lot of existing buildings that were there and turned them into workforce buildings uh, for exactly what you're talking about. And then there's something called man camps, uh, which is basically a pre-manufactured camp and system that's already pre-built, and they move them from one state to another as this happens. So, for example, as things slow down in Texas, they would take like a 600-unit man camp from Texas, and they would haul it all the way up to the Bakken. And then right now, they tore it down and moved them back to Texas. Uh, so, uh, you know, so a lot of that housing is done that way also. Oh, interesting. Um, 
And I, and I suppose as we come to a close on this, I would just, is there anything else you'd like to say about it? I'm sure I didn't account for everything and you might have something you want to say about it. Yeah, well, there's there's a few things. First of all, um, it's one way to think of it is kind of like imagine you live in a three-bedroom, two-bath house and all of a sudden the next week three relatives come to stay there and then another week later three more and another week later three more. Pretty soon you have 30 people living in a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Well, that's essentially what happened to a lot of these small towns. Uh, their infrastructures weren't able to take it, their water, their sewer, the schools. Uh, you know, so now all of a sudden you got a school that's designed to hold 1,000 kids, and now all of a sudden you have 2,000 kids. Well, what do you do? You know, so there's <laughs> temporary housing, not just for that, but for those guys too. And then the teachers. And uh, so it was fascinating to see. And, and one way they tried to solve it was by raising wages, which they had to do to get people to come there. Uh, personally, they couldn't pay me enough to live in the Bakken area, but uh, you know, it's just not my thing. Uh, but it, it also was good in a lot of senses, too, because it brought in a lot of revenue to those counties. And these are counties that are typically pretty poor counties. Uh, they, they work mostly on agriculture, and uh, you know, so their school systems were older. So there was some good that came out of this, too, because a lot of road infrastructure, uh, buildings, uh, school up upgrades, and uh, items that have been accomplished now are still there for the for the future of the teachers and families that are there. All right. Thank you very much for come sitting down and talk with me. I appreciate you uh, doing that immediately after work today. Not a problem. Uh, it was uh, fun. <laughs> I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll end this here, and we'll cut back to Chris and I, I'm sure, having something something terribly insightful and interesting to say about this. Okay, so so now we're back. <laughs> yes, we are back. Um, again, I uh, I really did enjoy doing that. Um, thanks again to my my dad for doing that. It, yeah, uh, thanks a lot. Um, he made it very easy. I will say he he came over right after work. Um, just came in, sat down, we recorded. Uh, easy to talk to. He's a good speaker, which is greatly appreciated. Yeah, that, <laughs> one take one take wonder. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, doing one take is always pretty difficult. Um, but no, it was really good. And so, so you talked about the the Bakken. Is that the name? It's the Bakken yes, boom. B A K K E N. See, I only I, recently learned that. My whole life, I always assumed it was B A L K E N. Like see, that's what I thought. Something. And so I thought you were talking about the Balkan region, which is all the way in Europe. <laughs> and <laughs> and I was like, well, what does that have to do with the U.S.? Because uh, I know like there are oil booms and whatnot. Um, but I was like, what does like the what does the Balkan region have to do with the US? But it's B-A-K-K-E-N. So where is that exactly? So uh that's again, that's northeastern Montana, but mostly northwestern North Dakota, right along and a you know, a large part of it is into Canada. I honestly huh. don't know about if there's much uh oil drilling or anything on the Canadian side. All my research has just been on the US side, but the, these areas are very small. I mean, they're not as small as they used to be after the latest boom, but I, th I believe Sydney, Montana is a three or four digit population town. And Williston is a little bit bigger, but not too much. And uh, the research I did for this really hammered home the classic tale you hear for lots of these economic booms where people are flooding into this region to, you know, get rich, get that mm. high paying job, but the people, and, and they're making money, but the, a lot of the people who are doing really well too, are people like my father, who they're just taking advantage of the situation. They, there's an opportunity <laughs> They're you know, 
Um, uh, not not in a bad way. I don't know if taking advantage is oh, taking advantage of the situation, not of the people. That that reminds me a lot of like the gold rush, gold rush from like the eighteen hundreds. So yes. where so where they found a lot of gold. I think it was in what was it in like the East Coast? Um, no, um, no, it's the California gold. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, not in the East Coast, but um, yeah, where it was in the California gold rush. And a lot of people went to California to get rich from gold, but some people did get rich. But the funny thing is, is the people who got rich were people who were selling the supplies. So people who were selling shovels, pants, tents, uh, utilities, tools, those are the ones who profited the most. Whereas people who were digging for gold, uh, they didn't really earn that much because there wasn't that much to go around with a couple thousand people on one piece right. of land because the way it worked out there it was more it was more of an independent thing uh, there were a lot of people coming out there on their own just hoping to get rich quick find that huge nugget of gold and retire but mm. you know most people are finding dust whereas in these oil booms the, these guys out on the oil fields they make a ton of money and yeah. if you're familiar with oil workers and i've known a few they have a habit of not a habit, a reputation of the work these long shifts for six months or something like that at a time, like grueling, just work, 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 very physical labor. And they're making a ton of money. Yeah. And on their off time, they'll go into town, just spend a ton on drinks or, you know, they'll get off, they'll buy like um, I heard the term while I was researching the sanity spending. Like, sanity oh, spending? I've never heard of that. What is that? Yeah, so it's like, oh man, I just did this insane job and I have like 30 grand I didn't have before. <laughs> I'm going to go buy like a $10,000 gun or I'm going to go buy a big screen TV or I'm going to go buy a new car I don't need or I'm going to go buy, you know, just like dropping a ton of money on just something like just without thinking, just impulse buy it. Just and I want that, I'm going to buy it. And that's called sanity spending? That's the term I used. Uh, I came across in my research. I would say that's and... insanity, though. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's like you spend so much time, like your mind gets so numb, you're going insane, and you just want, like, I, I don't know, just like some sort of release. Like, I did this crazy work, and because of that, now I can have this luxury good right now. Huh. Okay. I, I can't say I fully understand it, but I've never, you know, I've never been a roughneck. No, I've rough... never worked on these projects. Oh, is that what they call them, roughnecks? But, I mean, that's I mean, one of the that's one of the jobs on uh, on oil rig site. Huh. Yeah, I heard they made some something like a hundred k a year, but I don't. That's what I saw in my research from a couple documentaries. But it's 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 grueling work though. It really is. It's super dangerous. They have unfortunately they have a lot of accidents, especially on offshore rigs. But there there are no offshore rigs in in Canada. But <laughs> but like in the middle of the ocean, for example. And they, um, they've made a lot of it better, but you know, you can't make it completely safe. No, definitely not. But when I think of like oil booms, I don't know if I necessarily think of like Montana, Dakota, Canada. I think of more of the traditional like Texas, because I think that's really where it kind of started in the U.S., where they discovered a lot of the oil was originally in the South, and then they started drilling for it. So I guess that's just for me, like stereotypical oil boom, you know, you go to Texas for like an oil field. I don't know if that still reflects the modern day reality of it, but I think it's like the classic association is like Texas oil. 
Right. I believe Texas is still the number two in producing oil. Um, if I remember right, it's a lot of, um, I mean, it's just so huge and there's so much, uh, despite how populous Texas is, there's a lot of unpopulated area. If you ever look at a map of West Texas, it gets, it can get a little sparse. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true for the whole U.S. though. I mean, think about it. The U.S. is is slightly smaller than China, I would say, somewhere around there. So they're like, they're in the top five, it's in the top five. And the U.S. has like 34, th- like how much, what is the population? Like 340 million people. I thought it had gotten closer to 400 recently, but I haven't oh, seen my. an official number in a while. Yeah, I haven't either. But it's it's not that big compared to China where they have like 1.2 billion. So I think a lot of the U.S. is unpopulated. But that's nothing against Canada because Canada has a population of 33 million people <laughs> and it's bigger than the U.S. So mm-hmm. like no one lives there. <laughs> and, well, not, not literally, but. What, did you say China or Texas? Uh, China. I was saying like, com- like if you compare like China to the U.S., I was saying that the U.S. is uh, very unpopulated, I would say. Like there's a yes. lot of, that's what I, I meant. For a second, I thought you said that China had a population of 33 million. No, like, no, no, no. Hold no. on a second. <laughs> no, that hold was Canada. On. No, sorry. So Canada has a population of around 33 million. The U.S., I would say between 340, let's say up to 400 million. And China has around 1.2 billion. So there are large places in the U.S. where you can drive for like miles and not see like a house or see anyone really. Um, and, and what's very interesting, and, and this can this is something I see every day mm-hmm. uh, working in transportation. There are a lot of times where there's like this town in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes they don't even have post offices. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, someone wants something um, picked up or dropped off there. And a, a lot of my day at work is spent looking at Google Maps. And sometimes I get a little distracted. I'm like, why, why, what is this place? And I'll, I'll zoom in and turn the satellite view on. I'm like, there's like two houses and a massive warehouse here. What is going on? And it always makes me think like Sydney, Montana is smaller than Williston, Montana, but it's quite a bit bigger than that compared to, but what happens, it, it's crazy to think what happens when areas like that, someone just discovers a natural resource of some kind and like everybody's going to dogpile on this region and it's just overloading these areas is i mean it's it's a logistical nightmare but it's also fascinating to watch what actually happens and um yeah that's true i mean i think that's like a big part of american history you have like these like these company towns you know that you'll find like a natural resource somewhere like someone will find gold or oil or at like a good forest and a company will literally build a town around this resource and you know once the resource is gone so is the town <laughs> and then you have like all these ghost towns so when you drive through the u.s and i've seen plenty of them you'll see a lot of these abandoned towns because all the water is gone or all the oil is gone or the gold or the gold or the coal or whatever it is whatever resource they're mining once that resource is gone the the town just you know kind of vanishes and i think that is what happened um but yeah and they're super interesting to explore oh and definitely I, and I can't believe i didn't even think about bringing this up i know i've mentioned it a few times on the sh- on the podcast 
almost just called it the show. I guess it is a show. It is a show. It is a show. It just feels a little bit more presumptive. <laughs> it's an audio show. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I've mentioned a few times on the show before that uh, Butte, Montana, uh, nearby, was a huge boom town. It's not yeah. exactly a ghost town these days, but it is not what it used to be. Like, that was one of the wealthiest towns in the world, had unbelievable natural resources now so much of it a long time ago when the town was starting its decline someone ended up lighting a building on fire for insurance money and it burned a ton of stuff down oh wow so the town it almost is hard to believe walking through it nowadays like there's still a lot of history there but to listen to people who know about it talk about it talk about the grandeur and had its own amusement park and mm. the place was crazy and i was like it just looks like a small town and then even recently, they have a historic theater there that burned down, which is like, it's just so sad. I feel like that town just keeps getting kicked around. And now there's a, and we've talked about the, the toxic lake that is there, that they have sirens playing 24-7 to make sure birds don't get, go in and instantly die. But Really? 24-7? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, a lot of the times, these towns don't just turn into ghost towns. They just kind of get, you know, ruined. Yeah, that, that is an unfortunate uh, unfortunate thing is that with a lot of these oil booms or any kind of resource boom is once the resource is gone, the, the town, yeah, it's not just, if it's, it becomes a ghost town, you're, you're lucky. But more often than not, it becomes unlivable. Like the water's polluted or the groundwater's polluted or like the, the soil, like these towns become ruined, um, which, which is incredibly unfortunate. They're having the same problem in Alaska. So there's like there are like a lot of natural resources in Alaska and they've been trying to drill there because they have like natural reserves where you're not allowed to drill in Alaska um and the companies have like been pushing more and more and more so that they could drill there and um yeah that's a big problem is a lot of these companies are more interested in like the natural resources as opposed to like preserving the environment you know yes which, you know, as someone who lives in a place that has, you know, a similar reputation to Alaska, is like, oh, it's such a beautiful, untouched place. There's so much nature and beauty here, you know. You, you don't want that ruined. There's anyone that lives in a place like that. And also, if you're in a poor area, you're kind of torn between the two. You want your, you want your area to do well. You want success. You want, you know, some sort of, you know, recognition for hey it looks like some you know they're having some success they're making this money that look you know they're getting put on the map we also want to protect what you have and you True. also run into the issue of um you know my father talked about this in the interview all these people coming in from out of state to work there and some people stayed and the property values um and the they cost plummet. of living no, they went sky high. Oh, they did. Okay. A lot I... of people just can't afford, couldn't afford to live there anymore. And like food got really expensive because, you know, the demand went up and hmm. these, these oil workers are going to pay for it because they have the money for it. And <laughs> I was, uh, I was seeing, and, and it brings some interesting things too. On the, one of the documentaries I was watching, researching this, there's a restaurant, I think it's in Sydney, Montana, where it, it was just a very, very basic meat and potatoes kind of restaurant. 
Mm-hmm. And then they have all these people coming in and they're like, oh no, we need to diversify our menu. And they work and one of the servers said, Oh yeah, I'm working like 18 hour shifts. We're making a lot of money, but <laughs> it's a big change here. And there was a, a a guy that opened up a company that it, it kind of did a little bit of everything. He had a security company, you know, for installing security systems. He owned a store that sold guns and liquor and just other sporting goods stores. So you can go in, you know, buy your super marked up gun, your make make your uh, sanity purchase and <laughs> grab a few bottles of liquor and I don't know how it is in North Dakota, but Montana is not a wait state for buying firearms. If you want to go buy a firearm, it doesn't take very long. It, it doesn't. Takes as long, you no, know, it takes as long as it takes for the federal background check to clear, which is like 20 30 minutes really sometimes uh, less yeah i've bought guns pretty quick before doesn't take uh, very long well i've never i've never had a gun at all <laughs> so it's uh it's uh <laughs> even even as someone like me that's you know i'm i'm used to this kind of environment just seeing a store that says guns and liquor is <laughs> a little jarring yeah that that that's what, it, what i was talking about like with the booms is it's very typical to build up all these businesses around these company towns because that's where you you earn a lot of money, but like, what are you going to do? So you, you work on an oil rig all day long and then you come home to like a town and basically you just spend all of your money. Um, so that's, I think that's completely normal mm. to, you know, to do the sanity purchases as you call them or sanity spending. Right. And a lot of the times these, they're so busy that they don't really, some people I don't think do a lot of that, especially cause you know, you're in the middle of nowhere, you know, Williston, North Dakota isn't exactly a metropolis. There's not exactly a ton of crazy stuff you can buy. I mean, there's some, but, and also a lot of these people, you know, they're, they're transient workers. So do you want to go buy like a big screen TV and then haul it in your pickup truck back to wherever you're from? A lot of the, those people, they wait till they get home to make those crazy purchases. And I, and I've known people, um, there's someone I worked with a few years ago who, uh, I believe he did some oil work and he came home and he bought like an $8,000 stereo system. He's like, oh, yeah, wow. now I'm in, and now I'm in debt, but worth it. And oh. <laughs> to me, yeah, that's like, that doesn't sound worth it, but all right. That's true. Like I forgot about that. Like a lot of these workers don't necessarily live near the plant. Like some of them do. Some of them are super dependent on it. Um, this was like a whole, you know, this is one of the reasons why Trump was, I guess was so popular is that he, often had the phrase of like bringing back coal i guess was the phrase he used and he wanted to save a lot of these towns that were super dependent on like mining um but coal hasn't really been profitable in oh a long time Mm. but once you know once the coal is gone then a lot of people are left without a job a lot of these towns die and then you just kind of move on and I guess the U.S. is more dependent on oil than coal, I would say. I don't have anything to back that up. That's just, you know, just a feeling I have in the it, moment. It's definitely true. Yeah. Um, but coal is definitely not as popular as it used to be. Um, I was watching a John Oliver documentary, or I, have, I watched a while back, and they were talking about, like, the coal museum in Kentucky and how it was being powered by solar energy <laughs> 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 because coal is too expensive for like for the museum but it was just cheaper to use solar energy and it's the same thing with oil I, but i guess the difference between oil is it's used in so many things so it's used like to make plastics it's used to like you know to make like grease 
uh, like fat for like, uh, not, sorry, not fat, but like grease or like gasoline, kerosene, stuff like that. So it's a lot harder to break dependence on that, I would say. Whereas coal, I would say it has one main function, which is like producing energy. And that's, that's really it. Like you can't, well, I guess you could use it in makeup. I mean, that's, well, yeah, it has some manufacturing uses. That's but. true. But I would say it's ma- it, historically speaking, coal has mainly been used for like heating, I would say. Absolutely. But, Is there anything else you'd like to cover about economic booms? Uh, no, I think that's so. We hit the California gold rush and the Balkan, which was definitely new for me. I'd never heard about that. But now that's pretty much it. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, to anyone listening, I bear we we barely scratched the surface on the Balkan. There is a ton of crazy stuff that happened out in the Balkan. You know, just the kind of thing you would expect to have happen when you get people from all over a country into a tiny little pocket of the country where there's not very many people and they don't know how to deal with uh, very, you know, people of different cultures. A lot of weird and interesting stuff happened. I recommend you look into it. It's, It's there's a lot of interesting stuff. That's the same thing that happened in the California gold rush. A lot of people don't know this, but a lot of Chinese came to California to mine for gold. And I don't want to say that it got bad or that it was a problem, but that's kind of the way they viewed it is to where they banned Chinese people from coming to the U.S. for like 20 or 30 years because there are so many of them coming to California to, you know, get their, you know, to earn a fortune, basically. Mm-hmm. And something similar happened after World War II, not necessarily with immigration, but you also had like a lot of economic boom because you had a lot of soldiers coming home. They, this was like, they had the GI Bill, which allowed soldiers to like go to school or do some trade for quote unquote free, like the government would pay for it. And uh, yeah, but that's pretty much it uh, for economic booms. I got nothing else. I, I think we're good. All right. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week, and thank you again to my father for the interview. Yeah, thanks again for, yeah, thanks again for the terrific interview. Super interesting. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye.